at the Last Supper in his farewell discourses is coming to this point where he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in him in my name. I am giving you these commandments so that you may love one another. This is the word of the Lord. When I was five years old, my family moved from a little tiny house to a little bigger house at the corner of Lahoma and Lindsay Streets in Norman, Oklahoma, just a few blocks down the street from the University of Oklahoma. It was in an older part of town which had alleys that cut through behind the houses. We got to put our trash cans in the alley instead of out in front of the house on the street on trash days. Well, the trucks would come down the alley and pick up the trash on trash days, but we had these very sturdy lids and tough cans in the alley to keep the cats and the dogs and the raccoons and possums from digging in the trash and scattering it all over the place. Well, it was my job to take out the trash. I remember my mother was always reminding me that the trash can in the house was full and needed to be taken out to the trash cans in the alley. The reason I'm talking trash on Mother's Day is because out there in the alley, our back door neighbors had a fence that was covered with this huge rose bush filled with red roses about this time of year. It had hundreds of roses on it, and it was my job to go pick the red roses for our family to wear to church on Mother's Day. Both my grandmothers were still living at that time, so I had to go out and find seven nice rosebuds. As I look at these, I remember those rosebuds were kind of little. These have been nurtured to grow really big and full, but that was my job. And another thing I remember about the Mother's Day time, I remember us kids often asking my mother what she wanted for Mother's Day. She would answer, no fighting, please, one day of quiet and peace. Well, this was the time of smaller houses and larger families. 
we had to share bedrooms, so there were more squabbles working out the conflicts over shared space and my older sister's shared clothes. What my mother wanted on Mother's Day was not too far off from what Jesus is asking for in our gospel lesson today. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. He's sort of saying, just get along. Stop fighting so much. Just love one another. Well, I believe this theme of loving one another as Jesus loved us is an appropriate theme for Mother's Day. For the model of a mother's self-giving and self-sacrificing love, as we heard so many of those expressions in Marianne's prayer, is the kind of love that nearly all of us experience as babies and small children, which experientially gives us a good foundation in order to comprehend those teachings we hear later about what God's love is like. Jesus added, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now that word abide, I think, is fairly central to this whole passage. Abide in the scriptures carries the concept of finding shelter, protection, comfort, and nourishment. You abide in an abode, a home, if you will. And coming home is a real big deal in our experience where some of our most important memories are made, and most of them are positive memories. It's supposed to be and is for most of us that place where we can feel safe and secure in that love that will always be there for us no matter what. So abiding in love is mixing of metaphors for the abode is a physical shelter protecting us from the elements of heat and cold and rain and storms, physical things that can hurt our bodies, but love is a spiritual and an emotional thing, a quality of relationship. So abiding in love, I would think, would mean something like an atmosphere of love living in a place where that spirit, the mood, the vibes, the feelings are very accepting and caring, and we do feel safe and secure within that atmosphere. Jesus says that we can abide in this loving atmosphere if we will keep his commandments. The main one is, love one another as I have loved you. If you do, my joy will be in you, and your joy will be complete. Now that sounds wonderful when you kind of step back and listen to that, and then we think about the main motivational hooks in all the advertising uh, that goes on, that so much of it is trying to give us the impression that what they're trying to sell will make us happy, and we will feel secure. And there are so many self-help books that kind of try to market that, too. And so I got this idea of a book I could write, and the title would be One Step. Not ten, not five, not seven. One Step to Complete Joy. 
Love one another as Jesus loved us. Pretty simple. Well, we know the get-rich-quick schemes and the secret to happiness are not the same and are not easy. We don't need to buy the newest best-selling fad. You know, it's all pretty much already here. Learning to love like Jesus really doesn't come easily or naturally. We need to make decisions and choices and understand it better. So let's examine some of the qualities of a love like Jesus. The first of all in this passage, he says, No one has greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Well, in a literal sense, that means dying for someone. But in the symbolic sense, it means giving one's life in service for the benefit of others instead of being selfishly seeking one's own needs and ambitions and desires. Basically, it's an expression of self-giving, self-sacrificing for the other. In John's Gospel, the main focus at the Last Supper was Jesus washing the disciples' feet that in the chapter uh, or two that came before this passage. After that event, he says, If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. And if you do, you will be blessed. The foot washing was a specific example of the nature and style of this self-giving love. As I said, most of us experience that quality of love from our mothers starting from our birth and earliest uh, days out of the womb. But as we grow and mature, we need to transition from only receiving that quality of love to learning how to give that quality of love. And then we will begin to learn that it is indeed more blessed to give than to receive. A second way that Jesus loved, which we find sprinkled throughout the Gospels and his teachings and examples, is what I would call forgiving acceptance. Forgiving acceptance as that quality of love. He welcomed sinners and tax collectors, prostitutes, society's outcasts and the marginalized into his presence and even had table fellowship with them which is a serious breaking down of all of the prejudices and discrimination of his day. The story of Zacchaeus is a prime example of what can happen. For Zacchaeus was this chief tax collector, filthy rich guy, tagged to be a horrible sinner. But it is a story about the power of forgiving, accepting love. Jesus recognizes Zacchaeus' neediness as he sees him up in the tree. And he says to him, Come down, Zacchaeus, for I must stay at your house today. With the power of that accepting, forgiving love as just a gesture him. He hadn't even done anything but just tell him, come down, I want to stay at your house. In response to that gesture, Zacchaeus just says, 
half of all my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, I will repay four times as much. The power of that forgiving, accepting love to enable people, to free them to change. Unfortunately, the hostility and negative climate in our political world and in our culture where we have this violence and hostility to the point that all the folks think we need to have guns that we can carry on our hip all the time has gotten to the point that this accepting, forgiving love seems to be fairly scarce in our world and culture today. For example, in the political realm, if we we see the intensive digging into a candidate's past, just looking for some little speck of dust in order to magnify and spin and develop into dirt and turn it into mud to sling at that candidate, that process is so prevalent. And it begins to polarize people into categories of groups of folks who are totally unacceptable by this group and by that group, and, and the tension between us is unhealthy. As I said before, it bears repeating, the spirit today, unfortunately, views opponents as enemies. The concept of the loyal opposition seems to be gone, and I hope we can get it back. But I had this image of what it's kind of like. It's like we're all at at the football stadium, and we're getting ready for the game to begin, and all of a sudden a big brawl breaks out on the sidelines. The defensive squad and the offensive squad get in a big fight, and they go to blows, and they go at it so hard and strong that they have injured each other so much they cannot take the field for the regular game. They have to forfeit. In our legislative sessions, it seems like that's what's gone on. We've had to forfeit the game of trying to find solutions to our greatest problems today. Well, this tends to bleed throughout our society and world where we tend to divide ourselves into the groups that are acceptable and unacceptable, winners and losers, insiders and outsiders. And when we get going at that, the atmosphere is unfriendly. It's cold and hostile. And there is not much joy to be found. Now, we understand that Jesus was not always syrupy sweet. He was not going around singing, Don't worry, be happy. His accepting and forgiving love was balanced with a confronting love which held people accountable to a higher standard. Jesus challenged people to change their ways. He told the rich young ruler, Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and then come follow me. He criticized the scribes and the Pharisees for their self-righteous ways and he was always instructing and correcting 
his disciples. Today we might call this tough love, which means love that doesn't give up on somebody, but sometimes has to be confrontational and challenging. Tough love usually implies being tough on the one you love, but for a lot of us mild-mannered types, and some of you may question whether I'm in that group, but among us mild-mannered types, it's tough for us to be confrontational and challenging because we know it'll probably get a defensive reaction and a hostile uh, pushback. It's awkward and it's unpleasant, something we would really rather avoid. But we have to sometimes be tough and be challenging and strong for the sake of the other. Now, when I've been in a coaching position, and some of you in the mid-high know that I was your coach, and I made the speech to you that when I get on to you and try to correct you, don't let it hurt your feelings. What I feel is, and I believe is, you can do better. And I wouldn't get on to you and and correct you if I didn't feel like you could play at a higher level. If I didn't believe that, I would just shake my head, shrug my shoulders, and just say, it's no use, it's a waste of time, I'm not going to bother. But no, when I correct you, it's because I believe in you. Ann Ulanov, one of my professors at Union Theological Seminary, wrote of this kind of love and called it abrasive love. She said it's like sandpaper. Abrasive love is the kind of love we often find within the family and close friendships. It's the kind of love which has to be a little abrasive in order to smooth the rough edges. Abrasive love helps polish us. It's the kind of love that tells us you have bad breath before you leave the house or that outfit really doesn't flatter your figure. It's the kind of love that wants you to do your best and to be your best when you go out there into that unaccepting and unforgiving world. The love of Jesus was abrasive to his followers, but he was not trying to put them down or humiliate them. He was trying to lift them up, encourage them, empower them to become all that they could be. Now, as I, as he said, he said, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. A love like Jesus also and this is a a really important concept that we don't see it fully explained, but it is there, that we must reach beyond the four walls of our abode. Our love for our own must reach out and include all of God's children. Daniel Day Williams, in his book, The Spirit and Forms of Love, writes, One of the real dilemmas of our human love appears when love always seems to require concentration of concern upon some, but not upon others. 
parents will protect their own children at the expense of other children. Sin enters in here quite readily and easily amidst genuine moral dilemmas. So we will see why in the strongest of human loves, concern for the other, the beloved, will be tempered with concern for the larger causes of justice, which both must respect. It is only as we love the fullness of God's purpose more than any other by himself or herself will we truly be able to love it all. Now, I've seen this principle broken with hurtful consequences so often in youth sports where a parent takes on the role of coach. Often it's a very devoted parent of a really gifted athlete who will volunteer to coach. It's when that parent is more concerned with promoting his or her child to become the star of the team while neglecting to nurture and develop the less gifted boys or girls on the team who really need more work and attention. Add that to the neglect of developing the whole team as a team, and the result is often the gifted player becomes a ball hog trying to do it all himself or herself, getting frustrated and angry with the teammates who aren't helping enough, and the other players are angry with the star for being a ball hog. Well, what happens? They lose games, and there is no joy among them. If we truly love our own child with talent, We have to care for and work for the whole team, especially the ones needing the most help. And we know kids develop at different levels. Sometimes the kid who's really not really developed at this stage might go so much farther than some who matures early and has early skills. But we will ignore and neglect them to the peril of the team and to the diminishment of our own child's experience and character development. Well, when Jesus was teaching a large crowd, he kind of illustrated this theme. He was told that his mother and brothers and sisters were outside and wanted to see him. Looking around at all of those who sat in front of him while he was teaching, he said, Here are my mother and brothers and sisters, whoever does the will of my father is my brother and mother and sister. Well, as Professor Williams expressed it, only as we love the fullness of God's purpose more than any other by himself or herself can we really love at all. Now, one last quality of love that Jesus has for us to consider in keeping commandments. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Well, in our culture, we don't automatically think of love and commandments together. Isn't love a feeling thing? But the love of Jesus showed us that it does involve guidelines and rules and boundaries for the appropriate and inappropriate ways to show love. It implies boundaries of time and commitment to be together, boundaries guarding our times and places of closeness and intimacy where we can 
really communicate truthfully who we are and how we feel, not playing the social roles of our public persona, but really being who we are in a safe and caring environment where we can grow and learn to be better people. So as we try to negotiate our way through all of these tough decisions and moral dilemmas of what is right, what is wrong, what should I do, what shouldn't I do, it might be helpful to pause and think in the terms of this passage, will this action create that atmosphere of love? And if not, what could I do that would create that atmosphere of love? And if we can create that atmosphere so that we can abide in that Christ-like quality of love, then his joy will be in us. And our joy, maybe not complete, but can be moving toward completeness. Amen.